Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So the Buddha is purported to have said, Whatever one frequently thinks about and ponders, that will become the inclination of the mind and heart. Whatever one frequently thinks about and ponders, that will become the inclination of the mind and heart. So how do we spend our time? Not so much how do we spend our time out here, but how do we spend our time in here? What are we doing with our mind? So the understanding that the Buddha is pointing to, which has been verified by the modern field of neuroscience is that our our minds are malleable that they're plastic this this uh, term neuroplasticity that the the very not only the functioning but the very shape of our brains can change based on how we use them So just as a muscle in the body can grow or atrophy, different circuits and pathways and uh, um, portions of the brain can change in shape and function. And so this, um, this property of the human mind is, is what makes contemplative practice possible. Like if our, if our brain was fixed, if our patterns and habits and personality and views were fixed, we, we couldn't grow, we couldn't learn, it couldn't change. And this, this suite of practices that we've been exploring this weekend um, really capitalize upon this fact. They take this malleability of the mind and use it to shift the the way our mental and emotional energy is flowing. One of the analogies that I like to use a lot for this is uh, it's like like water flowing down a hillside. So it's uh, spring now and the end of the winter, a lot of rains here, so all the streams are flowing. And... uh, if you, if you walk up the, the hills or if you go down to the valley there, you'll see that the water, it cuts a channel in the land, right? And the soil gets washed away and then there's this, um, this groove. And any time it rains, the water flows down that groove. So the way our brains work is very similar. Every time we do something, it's like sending a trickle of water down the hillside in our mind. 
And the more the water goes down that pathway, the deeper that channel gets grooved. It gets carved in, etched in. So if we spend our time planning and feeling restless and anxious, well, we're, we're training our minds to spend energy in that way. And if we take time to cultivate loving kindness or compassion or joy, reflecting, thinking thoughts, connecting with images that bring up that quality, well, we're training our mind to abide, to rest in, in that state, in that orientation to oneself, to others. So these these practices we 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 do them in these periods of kind of concentrated or concerted effort where we we have a quiet place and a structure with you know a particular posture maybe we use a bell and this is like uh this is like the hard work of redirecting a river. <laughs> so all of the water's been going down one way, right? And then if you try to think about, you know, if you wanted to redirect the, uh, the stream that comes down behind the meditation hall up there, you'd need to go up pretty high, you'd build a dam and start digging a new channel, right? So we come here and that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're creating a new route. And that takes work, right? You know, we go home and say, oh, how is your retreat? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, sometimes it's work. It's not just like bliss and happiness and sitting here and bathing in love, <laughs> right? <clears throat> All of these other things come up, resentment, pettiness, anxiety, So we do this practice moment by moment, guiding, gently redirecting, bringing the mind back to the phrases, to the image, to the intentionality. But then when we're out in the world, we can carry that forward. So one of the, um, one of the beauties of the simplicity of this practice of using phrases that we can begin to repeat those phrases just during our day and even make a little song out of them you know find a melody that suits you and instead of thinking about you know the other 99,000 useless things that most of us waste our mental energy on why not be abiding in loving kindness you know when you're sitting in traffic Instead of flipping on the radio, why not be cultivating compassion or joy? You're riding public transit instead of feeling alienated and protective and, you know, why not reflect on the interconnectedness with all of those surrounding you and how we all just want to be happy and we all suffer and may we be well, may we be at ease. And we find peace. A very, very different way of living. A very different way of experiencing this world when we can remember this possibility. 
So today I'd like to focus on uh, the last of these four qualities, uh, which is equanimity. The word in Pali is upeka, which uh, has uh, several different translations. It means even, even-mindedness, even-minded, uh, equipoise, impartiality, balance. Uh, it's uh, the roots of the word are are. Um, literally to, to look to look upon. So it's a sense of having perspective, looking upon, getting the whole view, and then that brings this kind of balance. So equanimity is a very particular kind of balance. It's a balance that comes from wisdom, that comes from understanding things. So it's a wise and balanced perspective. It means not getting caught up in our lives and losing perspective. You know, the way, the way we can lose perspective if someone doesn't return a phone call or reply to an email, we get very, start fretting, getting frustrated or worried or hurt. All these interpretations and stories that can get created, we lose perspective. It's just an email, <laughs> you know, really? <laughs> Do I need to get that worked up over it? So equanimity is um, considered a very profound and advanced um, capacity in Buddhist practice. If you, if you study some of the teachings, you'll get acquainted with the different templates or lists that are used to... Uh, represent the teachings, things like the Eightfold Path and the Seven Factors of Awakening and the Four Brahma Viharas, the Ten Paramis, and so forth. And when you look at these, uh, equanimity, in all, of the, in all of the lists that it appears, it's either last or very close to the end. It's the last of the Ten Paramis. It's the last of the Four Brahma Viharas. It's the last of the seven factors of awakening in the state in the 16 stages of insight that's based in a sutta and gets expanded in the commentaries. It's one of the final stages of insight before awakening. So you get that sense that this is a, this is like a high attainment. This is not, uh, not just a passing passing notion of oh, balanced perspective. It's something that we learn that develops slowly over time. The, uh, one of the images that's used to talk about equanimity is it's like the wisdom of an elder, of a grandparent, a grandparent watching their grandchild play. And that grandparent has lived and seen so much in their life and if something happens that upsets that child, <clears throat> the grandparent can say, it's okay. It'll be okay. 
because they know from their own experience that, you know, life includes all of this. It includes difficulty and pain and loss and frustration. And, and in the end, it all blows over. So equanimity develops slowly. It's not something that we, we can turn on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a fruit ripening on a tree. It takes time, day by day by day, living, living with awareness. We don't just grow wise by being alive, unfortunately. We actually have to pay attention. <laughs> we actually have to bring awareness and intelligence and curiosity to our life. We have to be looking closely at what happens to learn. And then if we do that over time, wisdom grows and we, we, we mature in this kind of wise, balanced perspective of equanimity. So equanimity has, um, as I've been saying, these four brahma-viharas, these four qualities are all connected. They're, they're just different sides, different facets of the heart. And uh, equanimity plays a very important role in each of the others. So it balances them. It brings that wise perspective to love, to goodwill, so that we understand the limits of our control, that we can't make other people happy. Have you noticed that in practicing loving kindness, that sometimes the heart starts to get agitated and wish that we could make someone happy? That, well, why can't you do this? That's a lack of equanimity. It's a lack of seeing clearly that they are their own person with their own life and their own path and their own choices and their own history and their own mystery that we don't even know. And that we can wish them well and that we can be available to them, but that we can't control their life internally or externally. And so we let go. That's equanimity. Without that equanimity, the loving kindness moves into attachment. It's near enemy. It becomes control and manipulation and, tr and wanting, needing to possess, needing it to be a certain way. One teacher says, when you walk through the forest and you see a beautiful wild flower or a, the beauty of the trees, you don't, you don't try to take the beauty home with you in your pocket the beauty of the forest. When you come here to Spirit Rock, you don't try to take the, the hills with you. <laughs> you understand that it's just, it's just this for this moment. So there's a sense of being able to, to appreciate without trying to take. This is how equanimity balances appreciative joy. The movement to, uh, to possess Equanimity balances appreciative joy also by um, when appreciative joy, when this happiness uh, is not grounded by wisdom, we get swept away in it also. We get, un we get ungrounded, exuberant, overexcited. We lose, we lose, uh, we lose our center. 
So equanimity helps us to, uh, to recognize that even as we celebrate with one another or appreciate beauty, that things change. And that that's okay for things to change. With compassion, again, we see how when we don't have equanimity, that that caring, that uh, feeling for and feeling with pain and suffering easily becomes despair or sorrow or overwhelm or grief. How we fall into it. There's a sense of not being able to fix it, not being able to make it better. So equanimity gives us the, the balance and the understanding to recognize that we can only do so much. That we do what we can and then the rest is out of our hands. That we can't control the outcome in life most of the time. We have some influence and we exert it. Often we, we overestimate the influence we have because we don't remember that there's so many factors influencing any moment, any situation, countless factors out of our control. And we, we, we don't, we're not orchestrating all of that. So equanimity understands that and starts to let go. It understands, it sees the fiction of control, that the the idea that we live in a universe that's designed to meet our preferences and that's subject to our will in the way that we would like is just not true. That's not the way things are. And so it understands that with a sense of peacefulness rather than with a sense of despair or fatalism. There's, a, there's an acknowledgement and an openness and acceptance of that. And so equanimity is the wisdom that balances each of the other Brahma-viharas, that balances love, keeping it from becoming attachment or control, that balances compassion, keeping it from becoming grief or sorrow. And that balances joy and gladness to keep it from becoming, uh, again, either this this wanting to possess and keep or getting ungrounded and uh, swept away. So equanimity sees the bigger picture. It sees the changes of life, the ups and the downs, and stays even and balanced within all of that. And the power of equanimity is that when we're able to stay balanced, we actually have a lot of space. We have a lot of space because we're not getting pulled around by things. And when we have that space, then we can engage we can respond rather than react, as the, as the saying goes. Without equanimity, we're reacting to life. Just knee-jerk responses, chasing after the things we like, running away from the things we don't like, 
spacing out when there's nothing going on. Equanimity lets us see all of that and then choose with clarity how to engage. So it doesn't mean not feeling. Equanimity doesn't mean being numb or that everything somehow becomes a a kind of gray, bland, neutral blob. (laughs) Equanimity means that we actually are able to feel things fully without getting flooded, without being shaken or overwhelmed by them. It creates the space to feel things. Equanimity doesn't mean being calm all the time, never feeling energized or vigorous or engaged. It just means staying centered and balanced in the midst of what's happening. And if you've ever ridden a bike or tried to walk on a balance beam or seen someone on a a slack line or a tightrope, you know that balance is dynamic. It's changing all the time. It's very alive and responsive. It's not dead. It's not a fixed thing. So equanimity is being in the middle, staying in the center, balanced with what's happening. So the, the, the opposite of equanimity, obviously, is reactivity, is getting pulled around by our preferences, reacting with self-centeredness or greed or anger or aversion or fear. That's easy to spot. The near miss of equanimity that's harder to spot is indifference, shutting off, not caring. And that can look like equanimity from the outside, but it's a very different state of mind. Not caring is a, it's a numbness. It's an escape. It's a turning away and a shutting off, a not caring. Equanimity is imbued with a deep caring. And so just as equanimity balances the other Brahma-viharas, they too balance equanimity. So loving kindness and compassion, these, these imbue equanimity with that quality of deep connection and care. So equanimity is a very, uh, a very rich, fertile space of feeling connected rather than shutting off and becoming indifferent. And as I said, it doesn't mean not acting. It doesn't mean not speaking up or engaging or being passive. It means that we're not exhausted by our attempts to control things, to chase after things, or to manipulate things. We're not reacting out of unconscious habit, but we're choosing clearly where and when and how to respond and to engage. So one of the ways to develop equanimity is to reflect on things, to to actively contemplate the view 
the perspective of equanimity and to look at things from this this perspective and the 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 perspective one of the aspects of this perspective is um that there are these these different polarities in human life these different conditions that change throughout each of our lives that life life is a flow of oscillation between these different polarities of pleasure and pain gain and loss praise and blame fame and disrepute and if you just reflect on it for a moment you can see how true that is right is there any one of us in this room who has not experienced each of those over and over and over again right people like us they hate us We've, we we they, they, you know, we're praised and we're blamed. We're in the spotlight and then we're down in the dumps. We win some, we lose some. <laughs> we feel good. Everything's going well. We don't feel so good. The winds change. And so that's what these are called. These are called the worldly winds, the dhammaloka. And the, the understanding that these winds blow through each of our lives. And that's that's... That's just the deal, right? Is that that's what it is to be alive. Health comes and goes. Energy comes and goes. Success comes and goes. So we can reflect on this. We can actually reflect on this, and this is this is a important teaching in the Buddhist tradition that without wisdom, without seeing clearly, when we meet with the up the upswing, with the success and the pleasure and the gain and the praise, when we meet with those conditions, we get transfixed, we get elated. It's so wonderful and and the myth, the belief, the illusion that it's always going to stay this way, right? It's like, great, now, finally, and it seems like it's just always going to be this way. And then what happens? When the other shoe drops, we're crushed, we're dejected in despair. Oh, how did it happen? Oh, I should have, I could have. How come and why and me and... We blame ourselves, we blame someone else. Rather than being able to reflect, being able to understand, there's this phrase in the text that shows up again and again and again. One sees as it actually is with proper wisdom to see things as they actually are with proper wisdom. That when we meet with gain or pleasure or success or praise, that we can reflect, that we can understand and see with wisdom, this is transient, temporary, fragile, subject to change. 
And so then our mind doesn't get obsessed. It doesn't get transfixed, attracted, and repelled, and pulled around, blown around by these winds. It stays steady. We can be there and enjoy the pleasure, the beauty of the, the upswing, and we can be there and experience the change of the downswing without it needing to mean something about us, without it being a reflection of our value or our worth as a person. So as we reflect in this way, and as we notice these changes in our own life and in the lives of others, wisdom starts to grow, and we start to see that the, the assumption, the, um, the belief that we can only have pleasure, success, gain, praise, that we can only experience those and somehow avoid the pain, the loss, the failure, the, the blame, is a kind of insanity. It's like only wanting it to be day and never have night. Or like only wanting to breathe in <laughs> and never, never breathe out, right? It's, it's, it's that natural. These conditions just change and flow from one to the other. So ignorance, avija, means not seeing, or literally ignoring, ignoring the truth, ignoring the reality, this kind of reality. So without, without equanimity, without the wisdom of equanimity, when these winds come into our life, when things change, the mind is and the heart uh, shakes, it wobbles, it gets thrown off balance, it gets agitated. When we really deeply understand things, oh right, this is the way it is, this is the way things go. When there's loss, right, of course. Of course this would end. That's that's its nature. It's like, um, if I take my watch here, and I put it, raise it up. Now if I let this go, is there anyone in this room who thinks it's going to stay there? Is there anyone in this room who thinks it's going to float up? No, we all know that if, what's going to happen if I let go, right? Was that surprising? No. Because we understand the law of gravity. We learned this very, very young in life. So what is it that, what is, what is the, the understanding that comes from Buddhist practice? Everything that arises ceases. Everything that comes into being will end. It's, that's what Buddhas know. That's what fully awakened beings know. As deeply and clearly as we know that law of gravity. So that when things change, it's not surprising. We expect that watch to stay there 
or we expect it to float up, right? There's this expectation that my life's just going to keep getting better and better and better. And then when it doesn't, it's something wrong with me or it's something wrong with them or when a relationship ends, of course, <laughs> everything that starts ends. That's, that's the way this world works. Nothing stands outside of that pattern. But when we really see this clearly and deeply, it gives equanimity. The heart lets go. It's, it's at peace with the changes of things. And it starts to see these, these um, winds just as conditions, just changing conditions in life. So there's a story about the Thai forest meditation master, Ajahn Chah. He said that he had a, a favorite cup, some kind of like a crystal cup that someone had given him. And he would use this as a teaching with his students, and he would hold up the cup and say, do you see this cup? This is my favorite cup. He says, to me, this cup is already broken. It's already broken because it's inherent in it. It will break at some point. So it's already there, already let go. And it's, the, the journey there is, uh, is, is through letting the heart break. So there's the question that Rochelle asked yesterday about the lizard. And that awareness of knowing it's going to change, it's going to end. And it breaks our heart. But it's, it's through allowing our heart to break open that we really come to understand this on a deeper level. I was, uh, I was traveling overseas and visiting some ruins in India many years ago and sitting up on top of this hill, looking out over the city in uh, the state of Rajasthan, which is out in the desert near Pakistan. And um, many of the buildings are made of, of sandstone. So when the sun sets, the city lights up uh, the color of the sunset reflects off of all of the sandstone buildings, and it's very beautiful. And there's often uh, young children flying kites in the evening or at sunset, so there are all these kites and the landscape and the sunset. Sitting, just leaning against a wall, enjoying the view and the quiet and the sounds of the city. And some tourists came walking up a small group of uh, tourists, very chatty and talking. And um, one of the women noticed me sitting there, noticed that I had was the only person there before they came. So she, so she came over and she said, uh, kind of smiling, joking, oh, so sorry to disturb your peace. And um, I had been practicing a lot at that time and uh, thinking, reflecting on the teachings a lot, and kind of without really thinking about it, I just kind of looked at sort of what she said, kind of puzzled, puzzled me. I was like, oh. And I was, uh, paused for a moment to think about it, and I said, if it can be disturbed, what kind of peace is it? This is the understanding that grows with equanimity. 
that the peace that comes is not a peace that's dependent on conditions. It's not about having everything be our way. It's a peace that comes from letting go of control, letting go of needing things to be a certain way. That doesn't mean we don't have preferences. It doesn't mean we don't still engage in things or respond. It just means that we're not limited. We're not living in this small, narrow world where the only way we're happy is if we get our way. So two of the things that have taught me the most about equanimity uh, have been my uh, my immediate family, my family of origin, and uh, and my health. So those of you who know me, you know that I had a number of chronic health issues over the years, and um, it's been a deep teaching in seeing, finding equanimity and understanding the limits of control over this body and, and starting to, to know the difference between, on the one hand, the, the, the suffering of wishing it were different, you know, craving health, wanting to control things, and um, the, the exhaustion of either going back in time and trying to see how I could have done things differently so that this wouldn't have happened, or um, you know, researching, reading, and trying everything to get well. On the one hand, or just shutting down on the other hand, giving up, not caring, the indifference. And instead, finding that place in the middle, that balance that says, this is how it is, like it or not. And that, didn't, that doesn't mean I, don't still, I didn't still do everything in my power to get well, but it's coming from a different place, from a place of acceptance and balance and peace when that perspective was present. Or with family, you know, with, with family who, who suffer and wishing that, that one could have the, the power to change someone, to deal with an addiction or a, a depression or some, you know, mental illness and feeling the helplessness of that. And again, feeling those extremes. On the one hand, the anger or the rage or the pain. And then on the other hand, the shutting off. Well, it's not up to me. I don't care. I give up. And neither, neither is balanced. Neither of those are actually healthy for the heart. And so finding that place in the middle where where we can be in contact with the reality as it is and understand I can care and then there's a limit of, of, of influence. There's a limit of control. I can only do so much. And as we explore that space in the relationship with our own life or another's life, 
we start to find the capacity to be with things. I can be with this just the way it is. And that doesn't mean I can't engage, that I can't respond, but that in this moment, this is how it is. This is the truth. This is the, this is the condition right now. And it will change. And there are so many factors that lead to how it changes. I can't control the outcome. So we can practice equanimity. We can actually cultivate this wise and balanced perspective. We can, we can bring to mind a circumstance or situation and remind ourselves of this perspective that understands everything changes, it's not up to me, and, and ultimately that things are happening in some kind of lawful or ordered way. And just that sense of the, the, the law of gravity, that there are certain laws that the universe and this world function in certain, a certain lawful way. And so this is the understanding of, of karma, that actions have effects, you know, that if I, if I blow up at someone, that's going to change our relationship. <laughs> There's going to be a mess to clean up, you know, if I... Uh, if I steal, that's going to have an effect on my mind and on the situation. If I'm kind and generous, that's going to have an effect, you know. And, uh, you know, if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, that's going to have an effect. You know, if you've ever been in a car accident, you know that, that sense of like going back over the day and thinking like, if I had left five minutes earlier, or if I had, you know, just done this differently. And you can see, you start to get the sense of the web, this whole network of causes, and any one of them changes and everything else shifts. So there's that sense that things are all connected in a lawful way. Everything affects everything else. And it's out of our control, a lot of it. We just do what we can. So... In equanimity practice, we bring to mind a situation, another person, and we cultivate this wise and balanced perspective using certain phrases, reminding ourselves of this view. And so um, we'll take a break in a few minutes and do some walking and then come back and practice with this. I'll just read a few of these phrases from your sheet and then you can you can review this during the during the walking period to see if you can find a phrase that uh, or phrases that work for you. And each each of them kind of uh, points to a different facet of this view, a different perspective. So there's, there's the kind of traditional perspective on karma, which is you're the heir of your own, of your karma. You're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your actions, not my wishes for you. So there's that sense of recognizing our separateness, 
I care for you, but I can't keep you from suffering. And so you see right there both sides. There's the connection, I care for you, but I can't keep you from suffering, and the letting go, the balance, the recognition, the wise recognition that we each have our own life to live. All beings have their own path. I have my path, you have your path, and I care about you. Or the sense of balance in the midst of things. May I be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events. May I rest in awareness without being caught up in the changes of life. May I rest in awareness without being caught up in the changes of life. Or just very simply, this is how it is. It's like this now. This is Ajahn Sumedho's, one of his main teachings, the American monk founded a whole branch of the Thai forest tradition in the West. It's like this now. This is that this is the way it is. Just bringing the mind to recognize the reality of things and, and inviting it to be at peace, to let go in relation to that. there are different images that are used for equanimity in the texts. One is uh, the image of a, of a mountain, like a, a, a vast, unshakable mountain, and the wind and the rain and the storms and the sunshine come and go, and the mountain is steady. So there's that sense of stability and steadiness. Or there's the image of like walking on a tightrope, of balancing, dynamic. One, one teacher likes to use the image of surfing. And again, there's that sense of the dynamic change of riding on the, 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 the edge of the wave, but also of being deeply connected to the changes, to what's happening, sensing it, feeling it, being in relationship with it. So let's, uh, let's pause here. Um, we'll do some walking. And uh, again, the invitation is to use this time to, to listen for what's needed and um, cultivate whatever quality is going to be most nourishing for you of the uh, practices and qualities that we've been exploring. Kindness, compassion, joy, uh, or just even just coming to the simplicity of mindfulness, resting in presence. So let's take uh, half an hour. Uh, we'll, we'll gather again at 1140, 11.45 here for some equanimity practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.